Hello? 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 Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the show, boys and girls. We're delighted to have you. This is Sada. I'm one of your co-hosts. I'm joined by Jana, our other lovely co-host. Today, we're going to be doing the fourth and final film in our Black culture block, Judas and the Black Messiah. Very recent film. It came out really a week ago, I think. Yeah, um, yeah just about a week ago, I think. Yeah. Directed by Shaka King, uh, released obviously 2021. Before we get to that, Jana, any housekeeping, anything you want to tell us? How are you feeling? How are you doing? I really just, today I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know what? I'm so glad Saad and I both walked out of that theater and we both agreed that Endgame sucks. (laughs) (laughs) And I wanted to bring that up because it really, it really crossed my mind today. Why? 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 Because, well, my friend Christine and I, uh, hi, Christine. We're both watching uh, all of like the Marvel movies over again. And mm-hmm. so I've been watching them in timeline order. And today I watched Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is right before Infinity Wars. Mm-hmm. And, it, they, you know, they're talking about the quantum realm and everything like that. And I was like, Endgame. Endgame. And then that was it. Wow. And it led me to that. I'm just glad because the whole world loved Endgame. But Saad mm-hmm. and I both walked out in agreement that it sucked. <laughs> okay. So hold on. <laughs> Stop trying and that's to let me in this group with you. I don't hate it. Actually, each time I watch it, I like it more. I didn't walk out of the theater going, that was the greatest thing I've ever seen, which a lot of people did. But I by no means hated it. I think it was the best version of that movie they could have told. I don't like some of the character deaths or like just some of the choices. The, the timeline stuff is really iffy, but I don't hate it. Well, no comments, right. huh? Fine, the cheese stands alone. <laughs> I just, I don't want you to die on this hill, but maybe you'll have to. I don't know. I might, I I might die on this hill. I don't know. I'm pretty fine dying up there. Yeah. All right. Well, God, I I will take this to my grave. (laughs) We'll put it on your tombstone. (laughs) On my tombstone. Check our Twitter. All right. Well, wonderful. What we're talking about today (laughs) is by no means related to Endgame at all. So I'm I'm still trying to process how how that came up. How can I connect the two? Oh, well, (laughs) the lead, the lead of Judas and the Black Messiah was a character in Black Panther. There you go. A Marvel character. Yes. Daniel Kalua. He was actually, that was actually something I wanted to bring up. So I'm going to get into the summary in a bit, but he is being presented as a supporting actor, not the lead actor in this film for the awards contention, which I'm like, he's that. not the lead. Yeah, but he's also, I would say they're co-leads, a, the, the two main people in this film. He's a close second. He's a close I would second. say him and Jesse Plemons, who plays Roy Mitchell, are pretty even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess it'd be a good time to get the summary. As I said, this film's called Judas and the Black Messiah. First of all, just a great title. I think one of the best titles we've ever had on the podcast. But it takes place between 1968 and 1969 in Chicago here in the States. And it really focuses on Fred Hampton, who was the chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party. On the Fred Hampton, on the rise. He was 21 at the time really comparable to Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., like a true icon in his community. And so the film follows him and his journey as the chairman of the Black Panther Party. Also, though, it really follows uh, this one man, Bill O'Neill, who basically was, you see him in the start of the film, he's arrested for trying to steal a car. And so this is kind of when Roy Mitchell, who's an FBI agent, decides to jump on Bill O'Neill and say, what if you become an informant of mine? What if you join the Black Panthers? Give us information on this party. Because, of course, this is the FBI run by J. Edgar Hoover. Very strong feelings about the Black Panther Party. So basically, essentially, then the film follows Bill O'Neill's journey in the Black Panther, how he informs on Fred Hampton and how this all leads to Fred Hampton's uh, horrible assassination, really. My first question for you is, this is a biopic, right? But it's, it's not a traditional biopic. How do you feel about the fact the movie doesn't focus on kind of the life of Fred Hampton, but rather on this last critical year of his life? Well, I mean, to be frank, his life wasn't very long. He was 21. And I think this is a very important piece of his, his, his story. I mean, aside from all that he did, you know, he really brought together all different kinds of, you know, uh, groups of people in Chicago, you mm-hmm. know, um, I have it written down uh, just, and, you know, even like the Latino community he joined them together. He was responsible for like, you know, a free breakfast program, a lot of things, but this kind of just shows you 
the deep, deep root of like the systemic racism and mm. in our nation. And I think it's really, really important to touch on, especially it just comes out. I mean, not that like this is, you know, George Floyd was a one and done deal like the summer, you know, this has been mm-hmm. happening now. We're just seeing it more and more, but it really just, it's, it's very timely. It's a very timely yes. movie for what's going. It just shows you not a lot has changed. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think this, this, this movie in particular was anticipated in a lot of ways, you know, obviously it's coming out in a year where there has been this sort of racial reckoning, long overdue racial reckoning. There's been stories about Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Muhammad Ali, but there hasn't really been a proper portrayal of Fred Hampton yet. And so there was so much anticipation around this film. Do you think it lives up to the hype? Did it match your expectations? Yeah. And there, you know, like you just said that there hasn't been a lot, you know, anything to live up to Fred Hampton's Mm -hmm. legacy. I'll be honest. I didn't know who he was until this summer. It wasn't until this summer that, you know, you're seeing all these people posting all these resources and documentaries and stuff that, you know, there was, I was reading this massive thread on Twitter and they were talking about this actually, Mm -hmm. his murder. And Mm -hmm. they were, you know, I had never known about him at all until I saw this Twitter thread and watched the documentary. Yeah. A PBS documentary. Yeah. It's, it's an insane story. Also, Bill O'Neill wasn't someone that we'd heard of, you know, I mean the whole, it's, it's, I don't know. This film, it's overwhelming to watch. It really is. Like, it's, I don't know if it's my favorite movie that we've talked about in this block, for instance, but it's a really powerful story. It's a very timely one. And what's great about it is it's not like dramatizing anything. There's no like fluff to it. It's showing you this guy, Fred Hampton, 21 years old, but he's a true poet. He's an orator. He can connect with the crowd the way no one else can. Like, he is. He's remarkable and just the reach that he had, at least in Illinois, and how he reaches his death. Like, it's really just a timeline of the last year of his life and everything that mm-hmm. happened in it. And that's what's so great about the movie and makes it feel so timely. Like, you could, it's, it's like watching a documentary, to be honest. Like, it, it, there are choices that you know you're watching a movie. It's stylistic. The writing is great. The acting is great. But it's, it's a really powerful story. It is. It just shows you that there's an entire part of, like, U.S. history you know, and, and culture that we're just not taught about at all. I was listening to a podcast and, you know, one of the, the, the person who was being interviewed was saying, I have to like in college, the only way I learned about my history, my black history was through the elective classes that I chose to take. Mm-hmm. And when you go into the classes, it's all black people aside from like one or two, you know, non-black people who are interested in the course. And yeah. that's like the only way that you can really like, you know, Fred Hampton, we didn't learn about him growing up. We knew mm-hmm. the names Malcolm X and, and Martin Luther King. We didn't know about like Bill O'Neill. Like Angela Davis, like all these figures that we weren't, yeah. we just weren't taught about. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, it's so interesting. I mean, that's, what's great about movies and that's why they have such responsibility. Like I was thinking, you know, with this block that we're doing, it's, it's obvious you and I are not black. We should, the audience knows this of course, but Right, we're watching this through the lens of two women who don't know much about this time in history, who want to learn more, who want to see diverse filmmaking. But I was asking myself, I was like, are we too hard on films? Like, do we really need to sit break break down if they're diverse enough, if they're X, Y, and Z? But this film's an example of why you should be critical of what you're watching, because mm-hmm. this this is something that will be just as valuable 50 years from now. It's very valuable right now. Clearly, the history piece. has not changed itself. Exactly. It's a, it's a necessary piece of storytelling. And it's the example of what you can accomplish when you're a careful filmmaker, I guess, like when you really put care into the movies you're making, you know. Mm-hmm. But so I wanted to ask you, so now that like, we're going to talk about Fred Hampton, the duration of this podcast, but basically, obviously, the film kind of shows you that his ability to connect with people do these different speeches mm-hmm. run the Black Panthers. What do you think the movie presents Fred Hampton as? Is he a radical? Is he a revolutionary? Is he a critical thinker? Is he a poet? You know, I would say poet and a, a revolutionary. Yeah, the idea of eliminating racism and creating equality for all is not radical, even mm-hmm. though that's the way that we like to politicize things in this country. Although he took he took a different approach than some of the civil rights leaders at the time, right? He was a bit more forward with his vernacular and his like he didn't shy away from violence as much as some of his fellow peers did. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. Like there are a lot of scenes where you know. Bill O'Neill and Fred Hampton and other security members and just groups of the uh, the Black Panther chapter in Illinois, Chicago, where they're driving around with guns in the car and they're like, you know, keep a couple on you just in case this gets rough where we're going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know. Which, but I'm sure, you know, that was the same for Martin Luther King because we were, we were watching and when they were, the crowns, you know, there was a moment where the Black Panthers are meeting up with the crowns, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, another group in Chicago. And they were saying that they, they were the ones who were um, security intel for Martin Luther King when he was in Chicago at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's what's, that's what another question of this film is you're watching it. And it's basically one of the, I think the subliminal messages is how do you achieve equality? You know, like the, the question of, do you work within the system? Do you work outside the system? Do you demand radical change? Like there's a really interesting scene with Roy, obviously our FBI agent played by Jesse Plemons, who's conversing with Bill O'Neill played by Lakeith Stanfeld. And Roy is telling Bill like, I'm all for civil rights, but you can't cheat your way to equality. I wrote down it, that quote too. It's so yeah. crazy. But the thing is, America, like the government constantly cheats because I think for us, you're asking, you know, was Fred Hampton, you know, he resorted to violence at times. Mm-hmm. I think the way we've been taught was the Black Panthers, you know, they were presented as like kind of a radical group when we were growing yeah. up, right? Kind of a violent group. But at the same, they, you know, they did a lot for the youth of Chicago, for the people oh, of yeah. Chicago in general. Um, I think, you know, after he died, crime rates went up, like, you know, he... Um, uh, Fred Hampton was responsible for like bringing together a lot of gangs and you know mm-hmm. uh, agreeing on for nonviolence because he was telling them you know if you're the more violent we are you know against each other then like the the more that you're going to be impoverished right you're going to mm-hmm. struggle in your life yeah and so the U.S. government constantly resorts clearly mm-hmm. <laughs> in this movie you know as we see two acts of violence to achieve what they want so yeah, how know. is it any different it's not. I mean, it's not. It's it's but it's but it's a question in the film. I I think because we've never achieved equality, it's difficult to say what the right method is. I don't agree with Roy's statement. I'll cheat your way to equality. It's easy to say that as a white guy who has a great job and a perfect little family, right? Like Roy's perspective on it is not one to judge equality by. But it, this movie also makes me think of Trial of Chicago Seven because it's set in the same time period. Bobby Seale was a Bobby member of the Seale. Black Panther Party. Yeah. And that, that movie also asks the question of how do you achieve equality? How do you create change within an institution? And so I don't know. I mean, Fred Hampton was also in the, uh, the trial of the Chicago he 7. Was, he was he kind was. of guiding Bobby. And then we see that he passed, you know, he, he was murdered. And that was a exactly. point in the film. Yeah. I also want to note, sorry to interrupt you, that Bobby mm-hmm. actually formed the Black Panthers with uh, Huey Newton in the 1960s I... after Malcolm X was assassinated. Oh, I didn't And the know death that. of an un- unarmed Black teen named matthew johnson so again something we wow. see wow hey it's unbelievable we just don't learn we don't it things just repeat themselves over and over i don't know why i'm constantly surprised by that ideal it's not only within the black community you could say like look at the middle east and say the same thing look at the u.s government say the same thing i just don't understand it. you know what's frustrating about this movie is you sit and you watch and you ask yourself like Fred Hampton was a unique leader. He was, a, he, was a, he was a person people would follow. It's like frustrating to think about what we could actually accomplish if we had the right leaders at the right point in history who were allowed to work on, you know, unbarred, I guess. But the idea that like when you have the right people at the right time, you can get things done, you know? Mm-hmm. When there's a will, there's a way. It's very frustrating. I, I wonder like where would things have gone had he not been murdered the way that he I was? Know. and. I don't know. He was so young, 21. Like he, ha- he had a lot of potential. He was working up his way to a very like high position in the Black Panther. I know. I mean, we yeah. should also state the way he was murdered. Basically, Chicago police raided his apartment, shot him dead. The police fired 90 times in this little apartment complex. They killed mm-hmm. him and him and Mark Clark. They shot 90 times in this little apartment. A black, there was only one shot fired by the Black Panthers in the apartment. Like it was at the just, ceiling, too, after Mark had been shot. It was likely yeah. that his gun went off when, after he had been shot in the heart. And it's just like, this happens. It's a, it's a clear, I don't know, anyone with a brain is, would look at the situation and say, that's not okay, you know? I don't know. And you're not taught about it. It's like swept under the rug. We wouldn't have known about it. You know what I you're mean? You're not taught about it. And they had the side of the media on, on you know, they had the media on their side. I was, I was yeah. reading something where it was talking about, you know, after the raid happened, the, the police claimed that the, you know, Black Panthers were very violent with them. And it, it, it was an act of self-defense and um, that, you know, it, it took a lot of restraint on their part to not kill mm-hmm. all of the Black Panthers when in reality, yeah. only one was one you know, bullet was shot by them mm-hmm. out of, you know, out of someone falling, dying. 
Oh, so yes, my point. <laughs> <laughs> so they had the side of the media on them. There were two, yeah. two publications, two newspapers in Chicago. Um, the Chicago Sun was considered pretty liberal. So, you know, at the time, so they were uh, more on the side of the Black Panthers, you know, kind of trying to actually state what had happened based on witness testimonies. Yeah. And then, but the Chicago Tribune was very conservative and was mm-hmm. completely backing the police. So, I mean, these are two major publications. So it's the public is, you know, you have white people reading this. It's yeah. it's like now when it happens, when a black person is innocently shot, people go mm-hmm. like, oh, well, did he do something to the cops before, like, I know. they shot him? Like, that's their kind of the reaction. Well, was this, what was the situation? Yeah. It's weird how we all think that way. Like, there reaches a point in time where you just learn better. Your perspective widens and you just are more of a skeptic, you know? But, like, I think about the media thing, for instance, right? History is told by a certain sector of people. And so we'll never really know if we ever get the real story about something, right? You know? Which is a very scary thought. The media is a huge problem. Like, not to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but take take today, our time, 2021. CNN, sitting and watching Cuomo primetime. Chris Cuomo. I mean, thank God he's attractive. Every goddamn day, it's a it's an hour on Trump. Stop talking about Trump. You get, you get what I'm saying? Still? Like, st- what is stop giving this guy about? a platform. He, they just want to talk about him nonstop. Like, the, the impeachment did not work. We got to move on. Focus on Biden. Stop giving this guy a platform to run in 2024. It's like is he talking everything... about his brother? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think Chris Cuomo's allowed to talk about his brother anymore, by the way. I, read, I saw that headline Uh-oh. somewhere. Really? After it's interesting. Going on. Yeah. But my point is, like, we learn our history. What's going to be immortalized is what we see in the press, right? And if the press is always skewed in a certain way, it's... I, I don't know. It's like, yeah, it's, very... it's really scary. Like you don't know. The press yeah. has not become just a statement of fact anymore. No, and it's don't get very... me wrong. I don't think there it ever are... was too. It you never really the... was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just it, there. There are still some groups that are pretty impartial. They just kind of report what they're seeing. And CNN, for the to be fair, is reporting fact, but there's a lot of opinion in there as well. There's a lot of like you're saying bias and. I don't want to watch Fox News, but I'm also like every time I turn CNN, it's it's exhausting as well. Just like we need to rein things in. You need to give the viewer a chance to just process the information for what it is without all the uh, dressing on it. Yeah, I don't disagree. But that's also if you're in the 60s, you're you're hearing negative stuff about the Black Panther Party. You just wouldn't know any better. You would probably take it for what it is, right? Especially in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. So my next question for you before we start is this movie handles forgiveness in a really interesting way specifically bill and roy are betraying fred the entire time in the film mm-hmm. the movie is not asking you to forgive bill and roy but it's also i don't even know if it's asking you to really understand them but it doesn't paint them as villains i mean this movie really lives in the gray in a really interesting way no one is yeah. totally right and no one is totally wrong what do you think of the portrayal of both bill and roy i mean even just kind of knowing what, you know, what happened to Bill after mm-hmm. all of this, you know, he committed suicide in 1990, running across the freeway until a car hit him. Yeah. Um, that was the night that the um, documentary that the, that the film mentions at the very end premiered. And, you know, he was, he, I think that's really like the only like video they have of him, only interview that, you know, mm-hmm. people were ever able to get. Yeah. And so it kind of seems based on his actions, you know, what he said that he was kind of living in regret. And I, I have like, I don't think he realized the um, effect of what he was, you know, doing like uh, yeah. the, the, of, in the broader sense, you know, what mm-hmm. is, how is this really going to impact history? How is yeah. it going to impact black lives moving forward? Mm-hmm. But I also, it's, you know, it's someone who's in a desperate situation He's a black man who was, you know, who was stealing cars to kind of survive and things like mm-hmm. that. And then the government is threatening to put him away mm. in jail for that. And who knows what's going to happen to a black man in jail, right? Exactly. He was in a rock and a hard place, kind of had mm-hmm. no other way to go. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, they do make you like go, okay, well, it seems like uh, Roy is kind of conscious of what he's doing. There are things he doesn't want to do. It's, it's Does it, yeah. Roy is much more of the straightforward villain of the two. I yeah. don't think either of them are presented fully as villains, but Roy is, especially towards the end, 
Roy is very much like, okay, there's no understanding in you at all about this struggle. Like, don't sit here and give me a bullshit speech about how you're all for civil rights. Like, you have made your bed and now you have to lie in it, you know? Whereas with Bill, I think about the Bill thing too. The film, it, it... you don't walk away from it hating Bill, right? Even Lakeith Stanfeld was said when he received the script, he thought he would play, he was get, he was being asked to play Fred Hampton because he couldn't imagine playing like one of the biggest traitors in, you know, black history. Yeah. But I think honestly, I wonder if it's the script, the direction or Lakeith's performance, but there's something about Lakeith yeah. that makes you really, um, I don't know, you, it's hard to hate the character, you know? So I think it's, it's, you know, it's a mixture of his performance, the script, the tone, clearly the director had, I don't want to say he had an agenda, but he wanted mm-hmm. him to be portrayed in a, you know, a certain way. And I think, I think anyone who studies like black history in depth would probably, mm-hmm. if they knew the full backstory of Bill, they would probably go, okay, like this was kind of a brother who was, you know, put in a situation he couldn't get out of and it forced him to kill another brother. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. It's all very sad. It's just all of it's sad. You, it's, it's, sad. it's, yeah. I get what you're saying about Bill. He was stuck in a difficult position. And I'm like, you're saying, I want to hear how black men feel about Bill specifically, you know, and what they would think about that story. But I don't know. I don't know how I, I feel. Higher Learning did like an in-depth episode of it. I know. I would love to hear Van's take because they talked about it a little bit, but not not in too much depth. Yeah, maybe I'll message Van, get a response. (laughs) Well, yeah, he's very active on Twitter. He says, if you tag him, please go in depth about Judas and the Black Messiah. We want your opinion on these people. Mm -hmm. I feel like maybe he would do it. (laughs) Maybe he would do it. All right, let's move on to notable scenes. So I'll start us off, Jen, because I have one of the earlier scenes here. Mm -hmm. Okay, so first... I find the conversation between Bill and Roy in the very beginning of the movie to be really fascinating. It's right after Bill's arrested for the car hijacking Mm -hmm. situation. Roy like sits with him. It's like a couple minute thing. And he basically, he doesn't really ask any background. He just kind of goes to Bill. Were you upset when Dr. King was murdered? When Malcolm was murdered? It's a really Very manipulative it is, but it's also a really fascinating interaction. It's like, like you're mm-hmm. saying, it's manipulative. It's, um, uh, God, what's the word for it? It's condescending. Don't patronize him, you know? But yeah. It also really sets Don't make him feel off. like, oh, you're about to, like, offer him, like, something he, like, he's doing as a duty for his country, you know? Yeah. It's like, what's interesting about the film and Bill in, in particular is Bill was not a revolutionary or radical. He had no interest. Like if, if this, if he wasn't arrested, he never would have joined the Panthers, right? Like you learn everything about where the movie's heading in this one scene. I don't want to compare it to something stupid, but 500 Days of Summer, like the first thing you see is it's not a love story. Like with this interrogation scene, if you don't know anything about Fred Hampton and you were just kind of wanting to watch a movie about history... You after this interrogation scene, you think, oh, this is not a happy story. This is not going to have a good ending. You know, like it really sets up the movie and it does so with a couple minutes of exposition, which is brilliant. Also, I just want to say Lakeith like does not say a word the first 20 minutes of the movie. He maybe says like three words or so. And he's so good. I, I He's, so he's good. such a good actor. Like I so walked talented. away from this movie. Yeah, we've judged him correctly. We've been on his side for a while now and we're right. So. I was like, when I was watching it, I was like, I can't believe this guy that I, the first movie I saw him in was a Netflix rom-com. And here we are. That's where I loved him. Are. Yep. Uh, all right. Your next scene, Jen. Well, I kind of just want to talk to you really quickly about like the film style in the beginning. It kind of reminded oh, yeah. me of Spike Lee. I don't know if you've got that yes. immediate reaction with all the I real historical so images, the videos, the newspaper clipping, the song playing at the beginning, which I tried yeah. to find and I couldn't find the title of it. But it was very Spike Lee and I, I liked Shaka's first successful film. And so I, I, I thought it was sweet that he took inspiration from like a really amazing, you know, another amazing yeah. black filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, my next well i kind of just jump ahead i i wrote down you know this at this point bill has joined the black panthers and uh they're going back to lowe's to unify mm-hmm. with the crowns um oh yeah lowe's which is where we first see bill and he's you know impersonating a cop which are part of his like charges right mm-hmm. and um he's trying to steal a car from someone so he's going back there and so like it's like is anyone going to recognize him and then mm-hmm. 
the crowns you're you're gathering that they're a very um prevalent group within in chicago right um yeah. in the black community it's a tense scene there's and i was watching it, i was like there's so much history we're not aware of mm-hmm. this is when we learn you know the crowns they're not a political group and we've learned they've protected mlk um yeah. and fred kind of implies that they're more of a gang but they're still kind of connected to history you know in, in mm-hmm. a way it's, it's interesting mm-hmm. yeah no, that's, I mean, that's an interesting scene too. It's, it's what's cool about the, this movie too, is it essentially shows you how Fred sets up what will be the Rainbow Coalition, where he unites a bunch of different organizations in Chicago. And he's really able to unite the non-united, like people who would never normally come together. It's like, at least the way the movie puts it, right? It's like after a speech from Fred Hampton, you're like, okay, I get it. Let's do it, you know? And it's, and Daniel Kaluuya really makes you believe him too. Like his mm-hmm. performance is also extraordinary in this film. Yeah, I feel like we should talk a little bit more about him. Like, this is a really big role to step yeah. into. You know, I've always, from what I've seen him, and he's kind of always been like a supporting actor. And this is a major mm-hmm. figure to play, you know, yeah. uh, to represent. Well, obviously, he had the really big success of Get Out. But that was only a few years ago. He's relatively new on the scene. That's what's also great about this movie is you're watching, like, I think in terms of the next phase of Hollywood, it's probably John David Washington, Yahya Abdul-Mateen, Lakeith Stanfeld, and Daniel Kaluuya, who are like the new young black men who are going to re- represent a new age of Hollywood. And this movie has two of those guys. It's like they could have done this in a version where it's like well-known black actors. I'm mm-hmm. really glad they did it with a couple newer talents who still have a lot of capital in this industry, but they are newer to, to yeah. filmmaking. But yeah, he's wonderful in it. They're both really mm-hmm. good. My next scene is shortly after that it's basically bill someone has recognized him and they're like hey aren't you that guy from so and so and so then the 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 female black panther the main female black panther judy kind of starts to question bill a bit and they they basically interrogate him in the car while he's held at gunpoint mm-hmm. it's like again i i'm gonna talk so much about lakeith but like there's like this awkward uneasiness this like this paranoia that Bill has the entire film that slowly builds and builds. And it really is fascinating to watch. Like you could watch just like 20 minutes of Lakeith being like jittery on screen. And it's a really interesting scene. Cause it's like, God, you're so close to fucking up, you know, to fucking up your situation. And he doesn't, he manages to slide through. And then no one questions him again. Like no one suspects it's, him as being a mole. I think a lot future. of it is like, there's that paranoia, but then he really, I feel like throughout the movie, you see him kind of become like, you know, become them, right? Yeah. Like you said, like, like he was a guy who pretty much had no interest in this game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then he really seems to become a believer and a supporter, and it's, but it's sad because the whole time he's an ins- he's he's a mole. Yeah, I was reading, kind of, but this, it's against his will, right? It's against his will. I was reading this kind of um, summary of Fred Hampton's life by the Smithsonian. And there was this interesting quote about how O'Neill was in real life. And it was like, unlike what we might think of an informer being a quiet person who would just appear to listen, O'Neill was out there all the time spouting stuff. He was the go do it guy. I can fix this. I can get you the money. Like he was the one appealing to the crowd, which is fascinating because again, you wouldn't suspect that of of an informant, but he was probably more, I mean, that also comes up a little bit in the film. Like, are you just an informant or do you really believe in this cause? A lot of sad endings to a I know a sad cause. <laughs> What's your next notable scene? Yeah, I just wrote down the you know the tender moments between Fred and Deborah, played by Dominique Fishback. You know, Deborah eventually joins the chapter herself, and she becomes you know Fred's fiance and the future mother of his child, uh, Fred Hampton Jr., who also becomes the the he kind of carries on his father's legacy and becomes mm-hmm. the leader of the Black Panther Party Cubs. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just I, I thought it was it was nice to have those tender moments throughout a very heavy, intense film. Yeah. I thought mm-hmm. there was a love story element. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a romance. I know how beautiful. Yeah, I know. I know. Poor Deborah really goes through a lot too. It's really sad. Imagine it's sad. Your husband, your fiance is drugged next to you, and he gets shot in the head. You know, shot in general, and then shot in the head, and yeah, you're just you're there the whole time. I know that that scene, you know, when Fred is, is murdered and the cops are in the bedroom where Fred is laying down on the bed mm-hmm. and we're just zoomed in on Deborah's face. Yes, right? a cop yeah. Is handcuffing her. And then we hear the cops go, and this was a real life conversation. You know, basically they say, 
oh, he's still alive. Uh, and then they shoot him in the head twice and they go, well, that'll kill him. And then we unbelievable just on her face and just the emotion, like the waves of emotion going through her face. Or it's incredible. I mean, how do you process something like that happening? I mean, that's what you expected in the film. And I still put my hands over my mouth. I was like, is this really happening? Like, there, I don't even know. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. It's realistic, though. That's what's the most heartbreaking thing about it. It's, it's expected and realistic, you know? Mm-hmm. My next scene, I think it's kind of the climax of the movie, really, the I am a revolutionary scene, right? Fred is out of jail. He's giving his speech. I am a revolutionary. He gives this beautiful kind of incredible speech. And it's also the only time in the film that we see Fred, Roy, and Bill all in one place. Roy mm-hmm. is there pretending to be an activist attending the speech. There's this like great music in the background. It's kind of this drum kicking in at a very weird pace. It's it's the height of the film. And it's kind of like, again, you, what's amazing about this movie is all these scenes, even when something exciting is happening, like you're watching a great talk, you're kind of filled with dread. You're like, I know what's coming. And this this scene definitely has that moment of things are about to go south as if they yeah. haven't already gone south. <laughs> It's where the tide is changing. The tide is changing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. Your next scene. Oh God. This was like a really creepy scene. Like Bill learning that there's, I, I had a hard time understanding this and I tried to do some reading on it and even like rewinding the scenes to help me through it. It's Bill learning that there's another informant. Oh, in the Black Panther Party planted there by the FBI mm-hmm. and that he killed another FBI informant right? Alex Rackley, he was an FBI informant and he was killed by George Sams, who was also yeah, so, planted there, right? So George Sams was the only informant. He killed this other guy saying, oh, that guy's the informant. I'm going to kill him. Oh, I see. Okay. I misunderstood. Yeah. yeah. I had like a hard time, but the whole scene, I thought it was just like creepy because, mm-hmm. you know, there's all this, it really puts Neil, you see O'Neill like freaking, you know, Bill freaking yeah. out kind of puts him in perspective like you know even more so like what he the risk he's taking here um and then there's a a moment where i think it's roy's boss goes it takes a thief to catch a thief which is just yes people are really just you know just the worst of humanity yeah yeah it's like how do you you're in the fbi you might be the most well-intentioned person but if you're working on this case you know things aren't going to end well like you become so desensitized to what you're working on everything comes becomes through the filter of race you know you really begin to see it like this is a group of white guys talking about a group of black guys black mm-hmm. panthers are black people talking about white people you know like it's 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 really unsettling and it's just I mean, this kind of leads into my last notable scene, honestly. It's the dinner between Roy and Bill. Kind mm. of one of the last dinners. And Roy basically has had that meeting with J. Edgar Hoover. He kind of realizes, okay, there's no way this ends except with Fred Hampton's assassination. But what's great about that scene is Bill sitting with Roy and Bill kind of comes to the realization of what is really about to happen. And Bill asks Roy, are you going to kill Fred? Is that what this is about? So what's amazing about the scene, it's like, are they both these characters kind of finally understanding what all this informing has led to? Is it kind of like they weren't anticipating that this would end with Fred's death? I mean, what was going on in their heads? What did they think all this informing would lead to? All this hatred by the FBI. Like, it's a really interesting, it's really hard to read Bill in that moment. Is he really so surprised that he's going to be asked to participate in the death of Fred Hampton? Well, I read an article that was kind of saying like those moments were kind of like what had to be left up to interpretation by the director. There wasn't Mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, a lot of evidence, you know, real life facts for them to go on. And I read as well, um, I read an article, I don't remember which article, but they were saying, you know, um, Bill's uncle was saying that he did think that Bill had like a lot of regret about what he did, which is, mm. you know, kind of clear in his suicide. And then he just thought that the FBI was only going to raid like Hampton's house. I don't think, mm. I, I don't think he actually thought they would go as far as killing him. Yeah. You know, we'll never really know. We'll never know. Mm. I mean, it's a good way to, I mean, credit to Shaka, this director, Shaka King. It's, it's a really interesting way to, he, it's like, it's like watching a thriller, honestly, this movie in a lot of ways. That's the what suspense is ridiculous. It's given that genre, that it's, susp- it's yeah. a suspenseful, suspenseful thriller, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Any other notable scenes from you, Jen? 
Um, I just wrote out the shootout with the police in the Chicago, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, Black Panther chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, you know, the office cleanup, just another like nice little moment, the crown's coming to offer to help clean up and restore the office. Bill is like leading yeah. it. And then there's a touching moment where Fred comes back and he sees that the whole office is like, t- oh, he was in jail at this point. He was in mm-hmm. jail. I looked it up. He was in jail. The movie just goes, yeah. he was in jail because he was stealing ice cream. He stole $71 worth of ice cream to give yeah. to hungry kids on the street. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like mm-hmm. he was stealing it for himself. I know. Like, why would I watch the movie? They don't really go into that. And I was like, why was he stealing ice cream? What the fuck? I mean, <laughs> that just like, shows he's not a criminal. If that's the only no. thing that you have to arrest him, then this is clearly not someone who, I mean, they really, it's, it's that great. There's a great line in Trial of the Chicago 7 where Abby Hoffman is sitting on stand and he goes, he's talking to one of the FBI, the FBI's lawyer, and he goes, will you give me a second? I've never been on trial for my thoughts before. Fred Hampton mm-hmm. is the same way. You're literally yeah. arresting him because of his thoughts, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean specifically him. You're, you're, he's your target because of what he could accomplish, and they're so terrified of what he could have accomplished. And I was, I was reading about Hampton, and it's he's exactly how you would expect him. He was really there was there was uh, this I don't know what age he was specifically, but he and he saw racial injustice in his community. He witnessed oh the, the schools, yeah, yeah. This this uh, fourteen year old in yeah. yeah in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Emmett Till. And so after that, he becomes like this revolutionary, revolutionary, but to be so self-assured by the age of 21, to understand how to connect to people, what you need to accomplish at that young of an age is. He was waking up remarkable. at 6am to teach like political classes to people when he was like a, the leader of this chapter. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Damn. It's crazy. Yeah. I would say the bookends of this movie are really great. The beginning and the ending. I mean, those last few minutes of this film, you're, you're just, you can't take your eyes off the screen. Yeah. It's really, yeah. Uh, well, Jen, do you have any MVPs? I can only assume you do. I wrote Lakeith Stanfield. Yes. Jesse Plemons, Fred Hampton, mm-hmm. and Deborah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like it. Your LVPs. The U.S. government, mm-hmm. racism, Roy, and Bill. Yep. Okay. Put exactly. down the actor names <laughs> versus the character names. <laughs> I, I, my LVPs are J. Edgar Hoover and then just mm-hmm. add whoever you have on your list. My MVPs again are Lakeith, Fred Hampton, and um, Jesse Plemons, the actor, not Roy. Mm-hmm. But I also, I just, I remembered I had this quote. Shaka King was talking about Bill O'Neill. This just kind of goes back to what we were just saying. He basically said about Fred and Bill, he said Fred Hampton came into this world fully realized. He knew he, what he was doing at a very young age. Whereas William O'Neill is in conflict. He's confused. And that's always going to make for a more interesting protagonist. Oh, I see. Yeah. So he even kind of says it himself. Like, you know, my mm-hmm. main character of this story. Yeah. It is oh, Judas and the Black yeah. Messiah. Yeah. yeah. All right. Diversity. What do we think? <laughs> it's a film. I don't think we can two. complain. I think it's pretty no. good. <laughs> it kind of nails it. I'll tell you what, it tells the story exactly how it should, and it was perfectly cast. Like, could we sit and think of other actors we'd want to see in these roles? Probably not. Did you realize that Michael Sheen was playing J. Edgar Hoover? I did. I didn't realize I like, until I like, saw the name. I was like, oh, he, he, he wasn't in so it all familiar. that much. He yeah. wasn't in all that much. He had a lot of prosthetics, but he looked familiar mm-hmm. still. And I looked him up and I was like, ah, oh, Martin Sheen. Mm-hmm. Martin Sheen. Father of Charlie Sheen. Yep. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. The Bechdel test. I think it passes. I think it fails. No, I feel like there were, no, there were moments. Well, I mean, between Judy and Deborah. They talked about her pregnancy. Her pregnancy. But I mean, her son, her. her, I don't think they're talking about like uh, you know her romance with a boy or like an issue you know what i mean i don't it didn't seem as trivial trivial as like other female on female conversations we've seen where it fails the bechdel test yeah it was a better fair (laughs) to be fair though deborah was pregnant with a boy and they were talking about the kid (laughs) the kid is male i could there have been more though yeah i'll tell you what it does it i keep using this phrase i'll tell you what i'll tell you what tell me what tell me what i'll tell you what listen (laughs) what's there's a missed opportunity in that judy again she's really the only female character in the panthers we see i would love to understand kind of the female journey of being a part of a group like this Mm. in a male-centric organization 
but you're still a female fighting with the same cause, how are you treated? Are you given kind of the same platform? Are your opinions respected in the same way? I think there could have been something really interesting there that they explored, but I also don't think there was enough time for it in the film. But I, I, I would love to know more about just in general being in the 60s, the 70s, if you're a woman who wanted to advocate for change, how were you treated by your male peers? Yeah. I mean, she was hit on by her male peer. <laughs> was she? I don't remember that. Deborah. I mean, in a sense, right? Oh, Deborah she was. was up yeah. romance with Fred. To be fair, she seemed to be the one pursuing Fred. <laughs> in the who film. Do we know yet? But who can blame her? <laughs> who can blame her? I mean, she led, you know, she has a great legacy herself. Her son does. Mm-hmm. It wasn't all for nothing. I agree. All right. Critical reception? Lay it on me, yes. Okay. Give me 96%. The good 96%. 96% Rotten Tomatoes. 251 reviews. 96% audience score as well. Oh, wow. Equal footing. So critic consensus is an electrifying dramatization of historical events. Judas and the Black Messiah is a forceful condemnation of racial, racial injustice and a major triumph for its directors and stars. Totally agree. Very much agree. I, 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 this director is someone to watch. So what's interesting about him, Shaka King, he had this other film, Newly Weeds, which premiered at Sundance. Couldn't really get funding for it. It was kind of deemed a failure, or at least he says mm. so himself. Um, and you know why he couldn't get funding? People were saying, we don't want to pay for a movie with unknown black actors. And his response, well, Sundance is full of movies of unknown white actors and we pay for it. Oh my God. That was one of the things he was told basically. Right. But he says by his own admission that this film was the better story. It was the one to tell. He brought Ryan Coogler on board, who, as we know from Black Panther, Creed can do no wrong. So it just seemed to be kind of the perfect storm for a, for a film. How does he compare with some of the other directors we've talked about? I guess the main ones to bring up in this block would be Ryan Coogler and Spike Lee. Do you feel like he's he's such a new director, but do you feel like he's already up there with those guys? I think he's one to watch. I think he's really talented. It was filmed like beautifully. Absolutely. Very creative, Absolutely. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, I found three reviews. I wrote down a lot. I Two of these reviews are by black people. One is by a white man, but he wrote, he, his writing was beautiful, and so I wanted to share it. So bear with me. First review is by A.O. Scott of the New York Times. So he says... The phrase Black Messiah doesn't reflect romantic revolutionary hyperbole, but rather the paranoia of J. Edgar Hoover, who saw African-American militants as the gravest internal threat to national security and feared the emergence of a popular crowd-inspiring leader. The script by King and Will uh, Bierson is layered with ethical snares and ideological paradoxes. And while King's fast-paced direction doesn't spare the suspense, it also makes room for sorrow, anger, and even a measure of exhilaration. Judas and the Black Messiah represents a disciplined, impassioned effort to bring clarity to a volatile moment, to dispense with the sentimentality and revisionism that too often cloud movies about the 60s and about the politics of race. It's fascinating in its own right, and even more so when looked at alongside other recent movies. Do you concur? What other recent movies, I guess, would it be like a... I'm thinking of the prominent Black movies we've seen, Moonlight, Get Out, uh, If Beale Street Could Talk, Mm-hmm. Us, Black Panther, even Black Klansman, yeah, kind of these these recent black films that we've seen. But that's also he points out something great that it does get rid of the sentimentality of the '60s. Like I keep bringing up Trial of Chicago Seven, but mainly because it's about Chicago at the time with some of the same characters. That movie is kind of sentimental. It has it like is. a romantic ending of a sort. This one, like I said, like it could be a documentary in a sense. Yeah. It's documentary with actors. Exactly. Yeah. It's like when a documentary puts in those little scenes where they're, they hire like really shitty actors, except those yeah. whole documentaries by really talented people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Second review. This is by Kay Austin Colon of Rolling Stone. He says, Shaka King's Judas and the Black Messiah is another studio picture wrestling with the history of black power and not unlike Uptight or even Spike Lee's Malcolm X, taking the substantial risk of being at odds with itself, beginning and ending with its Judas, William O'Neill. Judas and the Black Messiah can't do everything. What it accomplishes is nevertheless quite something. It is a bittersweet compliment to what's here that we end the film wishing it done even more. So what do you think? I think that's true, where you do end the movie thinking... Oh, that's it. They're, they're You're thinking, they you want resolution, right? You're looking yeah. for resolution. You're looking for like a change, like mm-hmm. hope, and it's just not there. Yeah. I do like too how uh, Colin points out that this movie ends with its Judas. It begins and ends with William O'Neill. 
I think that is really interesting. <sighs> Will you explain the, the story of Jesus and Judas to me? <laughs> I don't know. If, I know Judas betrays Jesus, but I don't remember yeah. in what way. Honestly, Jenna, I, I don't remember what way either. Let's see. Let's do, let's do a brief Christianity review. Judas, what did Judas do to Jesus? <laughs> According to cana, canonical gospels, Judas betrayed Jesus uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane by kissing him and addressing him as a rabbi to reveal his identity to the crowd who'd come to arrest him. His name is often used synonymously with betrayal or treason. Oof. Wow. I will never be a Judas to you. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> God, bless. God bless. Last review for you guys, Layla Latif, a black woman. She says, the film's final moments offer a devastating call to arms that highlight the righteous re- legacy of Hampton. As a black messiah, he bore the weight of the world's sins and was subject to the worst of its brutality. And yet his message endures. You can murder revolutionary, but you can't murder a revolution. Beautifully written. Beautifully so haunting. Written. That's really haunting. I know. I know. Yeah. It is. That's also so much of the film is is really like Hampton dropping these notes that he knows he he might not survive the length of the, this revolution. You know that it's not about him as a revolutionary. It's more about the change itself. I don't know. I think about that a lot. Like watching this film, the idea that you could be so prepared to die for your cause. You know, a lot of people say they are, but they don't mean it. Fred Hampton was someone who meant it is what yeah. we gather from this film, at least. Yeah. Mm. That's so sad. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to quotes before we do some final thoughts. Right, John? Do you have a favorite uh, quote that you wrote down? The only quote that I had written down, um, I had written down some in my notes, but in this my particular like notes section uh, for quotes, I wrote um, the one that you mentioned, I'm all for civil rights, but you can't cheat your way to equality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trash. Mm-hmm. Trash. Exactly. Trash. <laughs> Although you know Jesse Plemons is someone to watch. He's he's Martin Scorsese's oh, new. Oh, he was an actor. MVP. Yeah, he was an MVP. <laughs> in Friday Night Lights and look where he uh-huh. is now. Look where he so is. Proud. I am proud. He's good too. Yeah. Wow. Who is All he? Right. Who is he married to? That's like it's surprising. Oh, uh, who Keith is he with? That's right. Oh yes. yeah, I like that. I like that union. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so my quote is it, this is when this is by Hampton he's talking about the FBI he says FBI basically they pulled the same shit on Martin and Malcolm what happened to them the same shit that's going to happen to us and you know it was just exactly what we were just talking about Fred Hampton Jr. was quoted saying legacy is more important than our life so I just think it's so interesting the way the father and son parallels obviously yeah but, that his son even had that much passion to continue his father's legacy i know because a lot of people could have been turned off by it you know they could have said the sacrifice is not worth it and it doesn't seem like my mother was left alone i was left without a father exactly yeah all right jen give us trivia all right guys bear with me my allergies have been on a rampage for since 6 30 but we've made it through the episode we're lagging a little bit right now so uh, trivia number one. I only have like three, but then I also have like an interesting thing, um, a history thing. Mm-hmm. Lakeith Stanfeld, Saudi kind of mentioned this. He was actually against the idea of playing William O'Neill at first. His initial thoughts were, you know, I hate this guy. But after watching the documentary <laughs> Eyes on the Prize 2, which is mentioned at the end of the film, Stanfeld, um, he changed his mind and he was intrigued and felt that there was a sense of regret in between what he was actually talking about. Trivia number two, before filming, the actors actually went to Chicago and met with the chairman, Fred Hampton Jr. and Mm. Mother Akua, who uh, was formerly known as Deborah Johnson, for seven hours. At the meeting, Hampton Jr. said, first of all, I want to know why every single one of you want to do this movie. Wow. That was really interesting. Some of the films uh, that influenced King while making Judas and the Black Messiah include The Departed, The Friends of Eddie Coyle, Dog Day Afternoon. Prince mm. of the City, and the documentary One We Were Kings. Can I add to that? So I read yeah. this NPR review. And have you, seen ta- have you seen The Talented Mr. Ripley, the Jude Law movie? No, I have not. You have. You should, Jen. This is, this well, is put it on the Jude list Law. for the documentary. Listen, I actually <laughs> I mean, don't. For the documentary, the, for the podcast. Jeez. That movie is beloved, but I didn't like it as much as everyone else did. 
but still it's jude law during his like beautiful gorgeous jude law years i think oh also, she was pointing to her hair you guys yeah, that- <laughs> she was pointing- <laughs> this was back when jude law had hair no he still has hair but i i don't know why it was the jude law like glowing glowing hair this mm. was that time period and it was also matt damon kate lanchette gwyneth paltrow philip seymour yeah. hoffman but anyways mm-hmm. i read this review that said this film feels like a combination of the talented mr ripley and the departed which i think is really interesting um talented mr ripley is essentially matt damon wants to take over jude law's life okay. and there's kind of the same jitteriness and anxiousness to yeah. that character and it's a sense of betrayal uh but i think that i just thought that was interesting it's a good comparison I don't disagree. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to kind of talk about was the counterintelligence program. Otherwise, uh, COINTELPRO is kind mm. of the abbreviation of it. So that's kind of what revealed or kind of confirmed to people that the FBI was involved in the murder of Fred Hampton and mm-hmm. Mark Clark. It started in 1956 to disrupt the activities of the Communist Party in the U.S., and then in the 1960s, it expanded to include a number of other domestic groups, such as the Ku Klux Klan, oh. the Socialist Workers Party, and the Black Panther Party. I don't get how you could like be fighting for both to stop, but you yeah. know, who am I to judge? Um, it officially ended in 1971, and you know, as we saw in the movie, and in, in the name of the title, I saw this in research. Uh, they saw Fred Hampton as a potential political messiah. Mm-hmm. We needed to be neutralized, which was just the same language used throughout the film, right? Yeah. So there was a break-in oh. in Philadelphia or Pennsylvania. I don't know. If, I can't remember if it was Philadelphia, but mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. And that's kind of how it revealed that the FBI was responsible for this, was involved. Wow. How scary. Very interesting. And that's my that's, trivia and fun that's facts. That's your trivia. And, that was really Well, I didn't want to call them fun facts for this episode because, you know, <laughs> this is not a fun movie. Yeah. or a story it's mm-hmm. a sad part of history the part that's still real actually i did also write down an interesting quote one by one of the actors that i wanted to read as well he played the chapter founder bobby rush for mm-hmm. chicago the black panther party daryl Britt gibson was his name the yeah. actor um to touch directly on how the story relates to the present 50 mm-hmm. years ago chairman fred hampton was assassinated in his sleep in his apartment minding his own business and just last year Brianna taylor was assassinated in her sleep in her apartment, minding her own business. And in both cases, there was no justice served. So the parallels are right there. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. You're right. I mean, we know this. It's, it's, it's like, I'm not surprised. And that's the disappointing part. You know, we know this stuff. When, when are things going to change? Like I was, I was, I was just thinking today, this has to do with more so with my personal life, but at some point something has got to give, <laughs> you know, like something has to change. <laughs> I really feel that way about our socio-political lives as well. I just don't want to reach the age of 90 and still be talking about the same stuff, you know? It's my depressing thought for the day. People are literally, have literally died for this. For this I fight. know. So many. I know they've given their lives. Oh, honestly, Fred Hampton, rest in peace. I'm glad we got to learn more about you. You were, mm. you were someone to watch. Let's talk about something a little more fun. I want to ask you this question. Is Judas and the Black Messiah the movie of the decade? Now, remember, the oh decade will we be just 2020. Started the, decade. <laughs> <laughs> the decade will be 2020 to 2029. I know you can't anticipate the stuff that will come out. I will say, so far... <laughs> I think Parasite is probably the only other movie in contention for this for this title. So far, do you think of everything you've seen the past couple of years? Past I year love so, the the Chicago, the trial of Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the trial. It's a mouthful. I need to give it an acronym. The, the trial of the Chicago Seven. I so, I love that. I thought that was an amazing you, movie. Do you think this movie could be up there though in nine years in the discussion? It could be. I mean, I it wish. Could be. I don't know. Is it better that this came out during COVID where everyone's sitting at home and it's, you know, mm. you're paying a flat fee of $15 a month for HBO Max versus paying $15 plus for every ticket to go to the movie theater? Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. It's hard because, yeah, I just with COVID, I don't know, like if movies, if the movies that came out were going to like reach the same potential that they would have mm. as being in the theater. But maybe even maybe even more now maybe even more yeah. it's accessible to more people so i'm not sure 
I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's up there. I don't know. I think I think it'll depend on how it does with the Oscar season. This year, it seems mm-hmm. like the Oscars are going to mean nothing, but also kind of matter for which movies should I watch from 2020? <laughs> Basically, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm curious how this will do if this will get a Best Picture nomination. So far, it really only seems like Daniel Kaluuya is the only one kind of picking up some some nominations for this film. But we saw some time. Surprised. Very surprising. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think it is up there though. I mean, it's a very timely story, you know. Yeah. I'm curious about whether or not we'll be talking about it. I think we will. I think we'll be talking about it in a few years. I think we'll be you know? talking about Fred Hampton. Yes. More yeah. and more now. I know. We'll have to see. So, of the films in our block, now that we've completed our black culture block, it was Black Panther, Black Klansman, yeah. Princess and the Frog, and Judas and the Black Messiah. All very good films. Which one is your favorite? How do you think this one connects to the other ones? I mean, I think my favorite overall was is Black Panther. I mean, it's one that we watched mm. over and over. It's just like... Especially, oh, especially in the aftermath. Uh, aftermath Chadwick of Chadwick Boseman. And it's, 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 it's how we've seen we, Black people like never represented before, kind of at the top of you know, society in, in terms mm-hmm. of money education you know yeah brilliance technology all of it it's also a happy story it's a happy story mm-hmm. with a sad sad reality the, well the sad reality now of course with chadwick but that's another yeah. thing like movies about people of color always have to be movies about struggle for some reason yeah even stories from the middle east like there have been great films from lebanon and they're all about struggle <laughs> <laughs> you know well like, in lebanon they don't really know any other way of life i know no i know Not i mean the say, middle east yeah, is the, the, black com- like, the black community i know but i also yeah. like why do i have to sit and watch the same rom-com essentially made like eight times over with a bunch of white people you know you know what i mean yeah, like can make we, me yeah. a rom-com i want to make see a it rom-com. something normal you know just normalize yeah. it I don't, yeah We'll see how that changes over time. I think for me, Black Klansman is just so good. I, and I love Spike Lee so much. Like, he really is one of my favorite directors. Quirky little dude. Yeah, and it's <laughs> just that story is funny and also horrifying. And it's just uh, John David Washington, who we love. Ah, we love. And I Adam Driver. I really liked seeing St- uh, Spike Lee actually act and um, yeah. do the right thing. That was a nice do twist. The right thing. We watched that earlier this year as well. Mm-hmm. We did good. I think this was a great block. I really like all of the films that we had. How does this one tie in? I mean, again, it's just a story about a community that struggled, right? But this is more... I mean, no, Black Klansman is also, you know, based on true events. Yeah. Which is a whole other outrageous story. (laughs) Oh, my God. I know, I know. Oh, it's all... Yeah. But Black Klansman, you walk away, like you're saying, like nostalgic, right? Like the ending is is happy in a sense mm-hmm. that like he did it. He infiltrated the, the KKK. Yeah. It ends on a more positive note, but you're just in the Black Messiah. Just it, it slaps you with the reality that is today. Even yeah. Though it was in the 60s. I think Black Panther is about the potential of what could be. <laughs> you know, in this community. Black Klansman is the absurdity of being a Black person in America. And then Judas and the Black Messiah is the unfortunate reality of trying to be revolutionary in America. Even even uh, Princess and the Frog is a little yeah. bit like, uh, like we said, it was set in the, like, after World War One. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, that's about a struggling young Black woman who's trying to make it her is. way in life. But I mean, we don't see, you know, they're in the South. We don't see all of the, you know, blunt racism, the Jim Crow, Crow laws, you know, all the stuff that we knew to be at that there during that time. We don't yeah. see it. Absolutely. I know. I know. It's just, oh, God. Disney just, you know, was like, sweep it under the rug. Disney was like, forget Jim Crow. Forget Jim Crow. <laughs> just oh, like man. when we came to America and we, you know, killed a bunch of people who were here first, sweep it under yeah. the rug. Exactly. Oh, man. Well, I'm really happy we did this block. Mm-hmm. I want to do it in future blocks, yeah. definitely more diverse blocks like this, maybe movies by, by uh, Latin filmmakers. I want to do a Middle Eastern yeah. filmmaking block yeah. um, really badly. Uh, I recently watched Caramel again, a Lebanese film directed mm-hmm. by Nadine Lebeke, and it's really good. I actually think you, you would really appreciate it. No, I think you would really appreciate it, like, watching it now as an adult. You've only as seen it, like, as like a younger person. We didn't, like, we were like, oh, God, why are our parents obsessed? Every Arab person is obsessed yeah. with it. That's also been the beauty of this podcast is you watch movies you loved when you were a kid and you're like, this, this just, why did I, 
like if like I think about Pirates of the Caribbean, I'm like if I watch that now, like that to me that was the greatest thing that ever happened to me when that we came love out. Pirates, <laughs> but it's like some things just don't age well, and some plots start to make sense when you're older, and some just get weirder. And you know, we'll see, we'll see. But um, great film, great talk. I really enjoyed give your, it. Give me your highlight of the week, I suppose, before we sign off. What happened this week? What week? What happened? Monday. Your allergies. Monday. My allergies have been kicking my ass this evening, but guess what I have sitting on my counter waiting? What? I had some leftover batter for the carrot cake. Oh my God. Oh, I made some. Because oh listen, last night, my dinner, I went to like a drive-in movie and my boyfriend is from Tunisia, right? And, and apparently Chili's over there is like the best thing that's happened in the country. And so he was like, I want Chili's <laughs> for takeout. <laughs> so he made me get Chili's. And oh. I kid you not, the salad I got had like crispy chicken tenders on it. I couldn't like pull apart the chicken at certain places. <gasps> and then the lettuce, I swear to God, I started chewing some lettuce and I was like, I took it out. I was like, is this plastic? It was lettuce. Like it was, I've never eaten lettuce that felt like plastic in my life. So I couldn't yeah. finish it. I took maybe like, you know, five or six bites yeah. and then I ate popcorn for dinner. So I didn't have a lot to eat yesterday. So today so now you're making carrot cake. I made pasta for dinner and then I have the carrot cake sitting on the counter. And that's is that it? Is that the whole that's <laughs> I asked for a simple highlight. So many questions. First I want to say chilies. Do you remember when we were young? Mom Chili's has a family glass in her food. Mom found glass in her food. I remember when as a kid, that was always something that really bothered me. Like, God, we can't go to chilies because mom is so pissed that it she was found such glass a big thing. And then I basically found plastic in my food yesterday. <laughs> now though, as an adult, of course it's a big thing. Glass. Yeah, glass. glass. <laughs> Broken glass was in the I can't food. believe that our parents used to take us to chilies. The food was terrible. I know. I mean I know. he ate everything, but he finished it. He was like, that was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it just isn't the same here, I guess, as it is abroad. No. Um, wonderful. My highlight of the week is I have made some serious progress on this puzzle. I still have a long way to go. But after last week, Shadow, when you said Sada, you get back in there. You get back in there. <laughs> you don't give up. I've resorted colors. I spent hours doing that again. Your puzzle is a thousand pieces too, right? A thousand pieces. But I'm and you're some sorting headway. things? You're crazy. No, no. The color sorting is critical. You can't do anything otherwise. You're just looking at pieces, you know? I'm going to send Willow over there to fuck it up for you. She fucked up my 500 piece puzzle and I'm not, I'm just going to, I'm just going to put it away, I think. I, I can't do it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna give up bring it down i'll do it i'll do it i'm sitting like really on my like table it. like hunched over on a friday night doing it for like an hour <laughs> maybe bring it down this weekend and we'll just finish it together in one night where if are we gonna finish are working it? on it we can do it. the table is mom is gonna we're just gonna destroy it again what's the point of even doing a puzzle <laughs> <laughs> i know i keep asking myself when i'm finished with this thing mom was like what are you gonna do when you're done i was like some people frame it she's like do you want to frame your puzzle <laughs> i was like no <laughs> what did you get a puzzle of it's of a coffee street. It's like a pretty French coffee street. Oh, it's very fancy. It's pretty, pretty actually. Here, let me show you. Show us. I know, I do have I'll like describe a French it to you guys. Name. Oh, it is. It's is it a pretty right? like French street with like red um, places, you know, like windowsills and flowers. Windowsills and it looks like it's raining and yeah. Oh, Mine is a picture of a desert. <laughs> <laughs> oh man the desert skies are like pink and purple and they're solid colors a lot of them throughout so Sada was oh, like wow. how are you gonna put this together and I was like I don't know <laughs> we're gonna figure it out and then Willow destroyed it wow well I guess we'll get an update next week again on the progress of the pillow uh the pillow maybe I'll make another character who knows who knows what I who do knows? know is our next block ladies and gentlemen will be Jenna's personal favorites it's a bunch of romantic films, basically. So it'll be much lighter than this book. <laughs> Don't read them because I feel like I'm going to change my mind as we go along. She changes But for sure, I think we're going to start with Ever After. I thought you wanted to start out with The Godfather. I changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> changed her mind. <laughs> changed her mind. We'll see where we end up. Um, 
Before we get there, though, we are for sure doing this bonus episode with Alex. It might actually be two bonus episodes. So we're for sure going to break down reality television. And more so, it's going to be really interesting. We're going to talk about how internet has affected our watching of television in general, how we feel about reality TV, just kind of the the media landscape, I think, right now. We're going to dive into my personal theory that reality TV is going to get canceled. You heard it here first. (laughs) And then... What I'm really excited about is after our reality TV talk, which will probably be part one of this episode, we're going to have a breakdown of our favorite actors. We're going to do rankings. We're going to share why we chose someone. Jana, did you choose Ryan Gosling because he's hot or is there something deeper? We're going to talk about He's a walking charisma machine. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to, it's going to be a lot of fun, the ranking episode though. I'm really excited to, to like go down and see who's number one. Everyone has for number one. But Jenna, I, I want to tell you now in front of our audience, you always forget people that you like. You really have to think about this list. I know. I was just thinking right now. I was like, this is going to be more work than me watching a movie and taking notes. <laughs> well, I mean, I already I already made mine. It's only seven Oh, my people. God. It's pretty I'm going to have to Google, gonna... like, famous actors. That's how I'm going to start. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's going to be either a list of seven or ten people. We don't know yet. But Alex will be there for both parts. We love Alex. Very we excited. got rave reviews about our episode with Alex. Yeah, I think it'll be fun. I think it'll I think be fun. So too. All right, Jen, this has been a delight. A hoot and a half. Absolutely. Thanks for joining, kids. Don't forget to follow us, not on Instagram, because we can barely handle having a Twitter. <laughs> At the Wonderful Pod. <laughs> At the Wonderful Pod. Please follow, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, because we have absolutely no way of, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Last we checked on Apple Podcasts, we had a one star review. <laughs> yeah, giving and a- then a five star review. So, so well, clearly, there's people love us or hate us. We're polarizing for some sort of reason. But we'll see you next Friday. Take care, yeah. everyone. Jen, been a pleasure. Stay safe, guys. <laughs>